28. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, we'll finish up, Lord willing, today um, on a uh, sermon I started last week on He Shall Have Dominion. Um, because we recognize that Christ will have dominion. And so we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 28. We'll read together Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And uh, so we'll, uh, and then we'll go from, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, dive right back in where we left off. But Matthew chapter 28, we'll pick up in verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 16, and we'll go through uh, verse 20. And so um, if you're physically able to do so, let me invite you, if you're physically able to, to stand with me as we honor the name of God's holy and written word. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord that's given to us this morning. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain, where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake to, uh, spoken to them, saying, All power, or literally all authority, is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and, baptize, and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world or the age. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach our text now, we ask your blessing upon your text, and may you add your blessing to the reading of your word. May you help us to submit uh, our, our hearts and minds to Christ and to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, nations rage. They always do, don't they? The nations always rage. They always yell. They always scream. And I know it's easy for us at times to look around and say, oh, this is the worst time in history. But haven't the nations always raged? Haven't the nations always screamed? Haven't the nations always yelled? Haven't the nations always resisted the rule and reign of Christ in the world? Haven't the nations always sought not to bow the knee and to kiss the sun? The fact is, is that even though the nations rage, Christ, Christ has dominion. He will have dominion. He has dominion. And he is exercising that dominion even now over, over all of the nations of the world. And as I said, that as we came to our text last week and we read, uh, we said that, uh, that this, has, this has massive implications this text has massive implications. We shouldn't read this as a, as a you-need-to-do-better text because you're a, a filthy, no-good dirtbag, right? We shouldn't read the text that way. It is a command. Absolutely, it's a command. But we shouldn't read the text that way. It's not, it's not do more, do more, do more for Jesus. Yay, yay, rah, rah, rah for Team Jesus here. This is a command that is meant to encourage us to fulfill the commission because it's going to be fulfilled right Jesus didn't give us a commandment for it to remain unfulfilled Jesus is going to fulfill the commandment through his through his people he's going to advance the kingdom he's going to glorify himself he's going to glorify his name and as I said last week this has massive reaching implications for us we talked about the the, the religious implications for us that Jesus, having all authority in heaven and on earth, has massive implications, religious implications. That is, uh, we, we now are, it defines for us who we worship. And we talked about the Trinity and God being sovereign over all things and the God of Scripture being very different than the gods of the nations. We said 
that has great political implication for us because Jesus has rule and power over the rulers and the kings of this earth. Lest we forget, Daniel reminds us that it is God that raises kings up and puts them down. It is God who gives power and God who takes power away. And so God is the one who is, even in the political realm, exercising authority. We also saw that, or also said, that it has great societal implications because as God's people began working and putting the, putting the, the Great Commission into practice, it's going to have great, uh, great uh, societal implications, particularly starting with where that particular location, that church is, and then expanding out uh, so that uh, we should see great, uh, great uh, uh, Christian communities who are exercising love and care and mercy upon the communities with hope um, and preaching of the gospel. We said family and also personal implications were, were great as well. We talked about the context in which Jesus gives this sermon last week where we said that Jesus is, uh, uh, Jesus is, is finishing up uh, throughout, uh, his, uh, throughout the, the Bible, Jesus, uh, uh, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is exercising his kingliness. He is showing his kingly work through the na- through, through, and that he is the king of, of, uh, of Messiah, the king, he is the Messiah, he's the one that was been promised. And that he is already the one who has authority, as we saw, particularly in Matthew, uh, with his I, but I tell you statements, like in Matthew 5, 23, or 22, where Jesus says, but I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without, uh, will be subject to judgment. Uh, and again, Matthew 7, 20, 7, 20, where he says, Lord, Lord, um, or not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we, we, we see that there's, there's great... There's great implications for us, but, but I want to go, I want to flesh this out a little bit more for us this morning. I want to flesh this out for you and I. I want us to see um, how we put this all together for us, so to speak, as God's people, as we advance the kingdom through, uh, through fulfilling the Great Commission. And by saying that, that, uh, that the Great Commission will be fulfilled doesn't certainly mean that there won't be opposition. Certainly won't be persecution. Certainly, certainly there will be persecution. Certainly there will be trials. Certainly there will be troubles. Certainly there will be um, great, uh, uh, great pains taken by the nations to try to resist the work of the kingdom. And so no one's doubting that. No one's denying that. But what we're saying is that Jesus is going to fulfill the Great Commission through us, his people. He's going to fulfill it through the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. So let's, let's take a look at some of these verses here, and let's see exactly what's going on and how we put, how we put this all together, so to speak. So in Matthew chapter, 16, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17, as we said last week, this is after the resurrection from the dead. This is the first appearance of Jesus. Um, and, and so he told his disciples to go back to Galilee and, and to the mountain right, during his first appearance. And this is, this is that fulfillment of what he's talking about. Um, it's amazing that, every, that in Matthew, um, all of the significant things happen in the mountains, or on a mountain, or on the mountain. The Sermon on the Mount is on the mount. At the beginning of the gospel, Jesus is, is, goes away onto a mountain, right, to, into the wilderness, and uh, to, to deal with Satan, uh, and, and to resist him, and to overcome that. Now we find Jesus and his disciples on the mountain. Everything is important here, and there's a reason for this. There's a reason why everywhere Jesus goes and everything Jesus does, right, uh, even, even, uh, <clears throat> even Golgotha is uh, known as Mount Calvary. 
And so um, it, is, it, is a, it is a little overheel, a little knob, a little, a little overlook of the city of Jerusalem. It's a, it's a, it's a small place, but it's still considered a, a mountain by their, by their standards. It, it's, it's interesting that everywhere you go, Jesus is on a mountain, and he's given everything uh, on, on, on these mountain um, feeding of the 5,000 on a mountain, the feeding of the 4,000, again, on the mountain. I mean, Mount of Transfiguration, everywhere Jesus is going in the Gospel of Matthew, every significant thing happens is on the mountain. Because Jesus, Jesus is showing his absolute authority, his absolute authority over the nations. Now, I, I know for us, maybe sometimes we miss the, 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 these things, but don't, don't flip past all of this. Like, like, like the writer of, of Matthew, the, Matthew, the gospel writer, gives these things to us, was inspired to give these things to us, not so we could just gloss over them, so we could see the significance of what he's saying. And this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, I have authority I have power. I have, and this is not hypothetical. This isn't, this isn't some, some resistible power that I have. This is power that I have. And it is interesting that it says that when some of them saw, or when they saw him, they worshipped him, didn't they? And what, is, what does he mean by that they, they worshipped him? Well, when, when we talk about worship in Scripture, there's, there's one sense in which um, we generally meant, and that is, that it, it means to literally uh, to kiss. That's literally what the word would translate it out would be, to, to kiss. And so automatically we're drawn back to uh, Psalm chapter 2 where it says, kiss the son lest he be angry, right, and you perish in the way. And so it says that that's exactly what these disciples were doing. They were prostrating themselves before Christ. They were literally kissing his feet and holding on to the hem of his garment. They were, they were prostrating themselves on the ground in complete and in complete attitude and gesture of their complete and utter submission to and dependence upon his high authority. They were worshiping the risen Lord. They were serving the risen Lord. So let, let me say this, Christian, that, that hasn't changed for us. Now, certainly we don't have Jesus in our midst in, in, the, in the physical sense, right? In the, in the sense that he was with his apostles at this point. But yet, is not our worship, aren't we called as we, as, as, we, as, as we flow into the understanding of the Great Commission? Is it not because we have first looked and gazed upon Christ? Is it not because we have first looked and gazed upon Christ? And is it not because we have worshipped him first? And then as a result of our worship gone out, I think it was John Piper who said that missions exist because worship doesn't, and I agree with that. I think that it's important for us to understand that, that, that our mission flows, under embracing our mission, it flows first from gazing upon Christ and worshiping Christ and, and looking upon Christ first. Long before we do anything for Christ, we should be in awe of Christ we should be in awe of who he is. We should be worshiping him. He is, the wor- he is the object of our worship. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we praise. And so it, it is interesting here as we think through this and we think about this, about, about what Christ is doing, what Christ has done. Um, and and, and as, we, as we think through this, long before we ever get to the command, we have them worshiping. And it's true for us as well. It's true for us as well. We need, to be, we need to be worshiping Christ. We need to be honoring Christ. We need to be serving Christ, don't we? 
And it's interesting here in verses 16 and 17 that Jesus, what has Jesus done to be worthy of this worship, right? Well, I mean, first of all, he is the God-man, and so he's obviously already worthy of our worship. But when it says that they worshiped him, what does it say? Jesus makes it clear that worship is for God and God alone. He is God alone is the one who has come to earth robed in flesh. God is the one who has, who has overcome the, 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 the sinfulness or the, the, the resistance that our first parents could not do, could not resist the sin of the, the, lust of the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He has overcome the world. He has given his life for his sheep. He has, he has called disciples to himself. He has done great things. He has taught us everything we need to know. He has done everything we need to know that he is the Son of God. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. They were worshiping as they worshiped the Son of Man, who was the one who had already received all authority in heaven and on earth. And the same is true for us. We worship King Jesus. He is not a weak wimp. He is not a namby-pamby weakling. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, and He is the one that we worship. Therefore, I submit to you that our worship should be anything but feminine. It must be verbose. It must be hearty. It must be loud, and it must serve Christ. It must not be feminine. I don't use that word in a in a in a in necessarily a negative sense. There's plenty of things where it's fine. Where Things should be feminine, right? But not our worship. Not our worship. Our worship must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus then comes up to the disciples in chapter 28, verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and he spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Literally, all authority. You know, when Jesus says, All authority has been given to me, right? You know what he's saying? He's saying that I have, I, have, um, I have taken back that which was forfeited. I have taken back that which was, which was forfeited in the, in the garden. I have, I have judged the usurper. I have, I have crushed him under my feet. Um, I have cast him out. I have completely hobbled him, right? He's not going to be able, he's not able to any longer exercise the authority and the power that he once was able to by any stretch of the imagination. Now, does he, is he still active? Sure, but in a, in, a, in, a, in a handicapped sense. And this is why it's important when, when we see Jesus' interaction with the devil. It says in, in the Gospel of Matthew earlier, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the, of the earth and, and their splendor. And he, said, and he says to Jesus, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. You see, Jesus was not sent into this world in order to receive splendor. But to, but to save sinners. Now, in, in saying that, I, maybe we could say, well, you know, they're sort of one and the same. And, 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 and maybe so, maybe so. I, I don't want to draw those lines too hard. But Jesus, as the rightful king, doesn't take shortcuts. He doesn't take shortcuts. He will rightfully exert his power. Can you imagine Satan showing Jesus all the marvelous temples of all the world? Like, like, look, this could all be yours. They could all be worshiping you if you serve me, if you worship me. He didn't show, do you think, do you think for a second Satan showed Jesus all the red light districts, the slaves, the poors, and the refugees in the world? No, no, no. He says, hey, 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 Jesus, you can be worshiped. Just bow down and serve me. Right? But Jesus isn't the king 
of just one part of the earth or any just any single solitary portions of of religion or anything like that. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it should draw, while we think of this passage, we should think of, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, shouldn't we? We should really think closely about this because there is great understanding here in Daniel, uh, or of, of Jesus pulling from uh, Daniel. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me back to the book of Daniel. Uh, if you don't know where that's at, it's uh, almost, uh, it's in a, the big part, uh, the major prophets of the Bible. Um, and so um, Daniel is uh, one of the last of the major prophets of the Bible. Um, and so it is, um, it's after the book of Ezekiel. And so, uh, um, um, so in, if you go to Daniel chapter 7, you will see something that, that's interesting here that happens. In Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verses, in verses 13 and 14, watch this. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given to him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. How? To the accomplishment of the Great Commission but also to the, to by subjugating his enemies, right? His dominion, even as an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. You say, well, now, okay. Well, let me say to you one other thing. We looked at it this morning in Sunday school. Matter of fact, Trent did a great job with this, with this passage. But in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And He's greatly shaken by all of this. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel gives the king the, the, the interpretation, right? And listen to what he says here. And it says in verse 37, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a power, kingdom power, strength, and glory. And where, wherever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven has he given into your hand, and has he, made the, has he made you ruler over them all? You are this head of gold. And he goes all the way down, right? But listen to this in verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, insomuch as iron breaks in pieces and subdues all things. And as iron that breaks all these shall be break in pieces and bruise. And whereas you saw the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as you saw the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas you saw iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, that's cling to one another, even as the iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of those kings... Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed? And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So you see, my brothers and sisters, as we go, this authority is important for us because the King of heaven has been given this authority by the Father, right? Jesus the Son has been given the authority by the Father, right? And so now Jesus says, because I have this authority, I am telling you to go in this authority, having, 
having, having shown my, that I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords, showing you that I have the authority to judge the nations, showing you that I have judged the, 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 the ruler of this world, Satan, and have, have completely decimated his rule and reign. That's what John tells us in 1 John, right? He says, go in this authority. Go in this authority and teach the nations, baptizing them, the, baptizing the nations. Right? And how does he do this? How does he establish this authority? Not by violence, not by elections, not by revolutions. Because Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So how does he do this? How does he do this? Through the preaching of the gospel. By extending his rule and reign over the nations through the preaching of the gospel, God very much tills and plows the nations under. He plows them under. His kingdom stands. His kingdom cannot, will not, and, and, and will never be defeated. He can't be defeated. No matter how many people... The nations kill, no matter how many of his people the nations kill, no matter how much they seek to persecute God's people, we have a victory in Jesus. And he has authority to reveal, and he reveals this. How does Christ reveal his authority to the nations? By proclaiming the gospel. You see, the gospel is God's terms of peace, if you would. Since war is so so much in our in our in our minds these days with everything going on in Russia, Ukraine, all this other things, right, and all that that's blasting all of our news cycles, it is God's peace terms. God says, if you want to have peace with me, there's only one way. It's a, it's absolute unconditional surrender. There are there are no other there's no other way. And it's interesting that Jesus. Jesus reveals his authority through the, through the gospel and by, by exercising his authority over the nations as the gospel exercises its power to save sinners and to bring the nations under his authority. This is why it says in Revelation 1, 1 and 2, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which things must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel and to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. And the realization then is found here in 19 and 20. The realization of God's kingdom is very clear here. I mean, yes, we often call it the real, we often call it the the Great Commission, right? But this is this is the realization of God's kingdom coming. This is the realization of God's kingdom coming. That yes, it is the Great Commission, but even more than that, it is it is God's kingdom being realized now. And notice what he says here. Jesus says, "Therefore, go." And while you're going, make disciples of all nations. It's interesting, isn't it? All nations. That's what Matthew. That's what Daniel. That, that's what Daniel records for us in the book of Daniel. That all nations will be submitted to Christ in the end of all things. The gospel will defeat the nations. Christ will plow the nations under. They will bow the knee, submit to Christ. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded. You are everything that I've commanded you. Right? Isn't it interesting? 
that Jesus says that this power is his, this authority is his. Because when Jesus says and mentions authority, what he means is having a state of control over something. It means that he has the, it, has, it means he has the freedom, the right to control, the right to command, the, the absolute power and the warrant to send. He says, so go. Go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, right? So teaching them, baptizing them, and teaching them some more. Jesus exercises his authority while teaching people. Jesus already has exercised his authority by healing people. Jesus already exercised his authority by casting out demons, pressing back against the kingdom of darkness, right? The cross was a beachhead upon which God has invaded the nations and is destroying them one by one by one. And so Christ is exercising this great authority and this great power for us to make disciples And it's interesting because as you walk through the Gospel of Matthew, you meet this great um, major transition that's taking place. Because if you go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, right? there's there's a great transition that's taking place here. Because in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, Jesus only told them to go to the Jews, right? He told them not to go among the Gentiles. He told them not to enter into any of the towns of the Samaritans, but rather to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? And he gave them this reason, because the kingdom of heaven is near. But here he's now saying the age of the Jews is coming to a close. It's coming to a close, and it closed in AD 70. It's coming to a close, and so now go into all of the nations. Don't just go to the Jews. The time has come, the time is coming to an end quickly. With the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, that was realized once and for all. And so he says now, go into all the nations, right? Don't stay on Sinai, go. Don't stay, on, don't stay in Jerusalem, go. Don't stay, don't stay where you're comfortable, go into all the nations. Right? He says, go. Go, make disciples, Yes, including Jewish people, but all nations. And we see this, we see that the, that, the, that, the, that the people of God didn't quite understand this because it's not until the book of Acts chapter 10 with God appearing to Cornelius the centurion and God appearing to Peter and he says, I told y'all to go, that the church actually gets the hint and starts actually going to all the nations. And they start being spread out through persecution of Saul who later, who, who's later, uh, who, who later then goes by his name Paul, right? By the way, Saul didn't, God didn't change Saul's name. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Jew, uh, Greek name, so just so you know. And so God uses that to, to, to scatter the church so that they'll begin doing what God has said them, to sent them out to do. And so that now on, the disciples will go to all the nations, right? And this is, this is, what, this is what 1 Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.9. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all nations will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Amazing, isn't it? The mystery, the mystery of the gospel is that the Gentiles are also heirs together with the nation of Israel, one body together, sent out with the promises of Christ to the nations to make disciples. 
And this is what we're called to, church. We're called, right? I don't think many of us here are, are, I don't think, maybe some of us are, I don't know. I I don't think many of us here are Jews, right? Maybe maybe we've got, maybe maybe some of you are, I I don't know. But but for for those of you like me, man, we're 100% Gentile, right? 100% Gentile. And this is good news. Because here's why this is good news. Because it also means that it doesn't matter if you're from the red light districts. It doesn't matter if you're from from the, from the bars and the, the, the underworld of, the, of this world. It doesn't matter who you are. Christ's gospel is meant to be preached to all people everywhere. And the, the results left to our sovereign God to call the nations to repentance and belief. So the gospel isn't meant for it to be contained within the four walls of the local church. Right? The gospel is meant to go. To go to the gates of hell. To stand in front of the gates of hell and plead for people to repent and believe the gospel. And those gates of hell are, are, are found everywhere in our society. From the abortion clinics to the strip clubs to everywhere in between. God has called us to go everywhere in all the nations, even the nice religious people, the nice moral people, and tell them they're not good enough to come to Christ. Or they're, they're not good enough to come to Christ on their own and by their own merit. But by Christ's sacrifice, they can be made right with the Father. That it's Jesus and Jesus alone by which we are made right with God. It is the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross by which we are made right with God. God doesn't call you to be better people. God doesn't call me to be better people. God calls us to be new creations in Christ. So that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter, nothing matters where you come from, what kind of upbringing you had. It doesn't matter. We're not called, the church isn't called to keep the gospel to ourselves. We're called to go to the nations. And that's not just meant for, hey, let's go pay some missionaries to go to the foreign mission fields. Now, certainly we need to do that, but that's not all that's meant there. We're called to reach the nations with the gospel personally as a family because the nations are God's inheritance and the promise then is this in verse 20 isn't it teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo I'm with you always even to the end of the world or the end of the age right what what is Jesus meaning here what's the promise of the kingdom of God that we're never going to be alone that we're never going to be alone Matthew over and over and over again tells us tells us that all of these things took place to fulfill what the scriptures said, what the prophets said, what, what, what the scriptures said over and over and over again. We're told this, all of these things. And this is, this is true for us today. We're seeing scripture fulfilled even today as we go into the nation, as we preach the gospel. This happens so that as, as the scripture says, or according to the scriptures, or in fulfillment to what the scriptures say, right? The nations are inheritance. They, they are inheritance of Christ. All of this has been fundamentally interpreted because it says, all of this is done, what? In the name, right? Not the names, but the name. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Right? This is, this is a Trinitarian gospel this is a trinitarian mission that only can be accomplished by god's grace for his glory right 
And it's interesting that as we think through all of this, Christian, here's our question for us. If Christ has all authority and power, or maybe I should say since Christ has all authority and power, right? Why, why, why do we not trust him to fulfill this? Believe him for fulfilling this. Christ humbled himself to the point of being obedient to the death, even death on the cross. He identified with us by, become, by robing himself in human flesh, by becoming human, right? And dying a death on a cross, that all who repent and believe the gospel would be saved. So that we can see sinners coming to faith in Christ. His authority, his power was prophesied and has been prophesied in the Old Testament, whether Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 through 9, right? I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that for far too long, we have been living as if Christ is going to be defeated. We live as if, often, as if the kingdom is going to be defeated. Well, my call to us is to remember that's not the case. And two, Christ has told us to go. Because the nations will be in the dustbin of history. And as was pointed out this morning in our Sunday school class by Brother Trent, they will continue to go in the dustbin of history, but God's kingdom will continue to grow. God's kingdom will continue to advance. Jesus says, it is said of Christ in the Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase in his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon David's throne and over his kingdom to order and to establish it with justice and righteousness from that time on even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That is not just a nice Christmas hymn for for us just to get all oozy woozy woozy filly 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 about, right? And on Christmas time, we're like, oh, it's baby Jesus, right? This is, not, this is not something for us to get all comfy cozy with on Christmas time because, uh, because of this passage. It tells us what Jesus, King Jesus, is going to do. And he tells us here in Matthew chapter 28. And so based upon this, my, my, my earnest appeal to us, my earnest appeal to us is this. Preach Christ. Let us preach Christ. Because he alone has the power to forgive our sins. He alone has the power to judge and rule this world. He alone has the power to reconcile us to the Father. John seventeen twelve says, For you, Father, granted granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. But not only preaching the gospel, but making disciples, right? Why, would, why should someone become a disciple of Christ? Well, I'm certainly, certainly not going to tell you that you should tell them, well, it's great to be a belong to Jesus. No, 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 no. We are heralds of the king who tell them this is the peace terms 
of our king, of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords, of the king of heaven. And he commands you to bow the knee. He commands you to bow the knee. To acknowledge the authority of Christ. Because he is the worthy one who is worthy of all of our acknowledgement of Christ. But not only making disciples, right, by commanding them to, to you know, every, by, by, by teaching them everything, but, um, right? But I, I would say there's a strong connection here to the Sermon on the Mount. But not just the Sermon on the Mount, but all of Jesus' teachings, all of the scripture. The entire Bible is the word of God. To teach them the word of God, all of it, right? So often we even look at the Old Testament, we're like, well, you know, that's a bunch of nice stories that help us. Maybe, maybe, maybe tell, tell me about how I can be David and, like, kill all my... my uh, Kill all my giants, <laughs> right? No, 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 that's not it. That's not it at all. If, you, if that's the way you take the Old Testament, you have severely misjudged what it's for. But we should, we should learn the word of God. We should love scripture. We should l- grow in the word of God. Baptizing, we should, we should love baptism. We should be prayerful that God would fill, allow us to see our baptism, baptismal field week in and week out and sinners, sinners coming to faith in Christ, being baptized, so that we can continue on teaching them how they are to follow King Jesus. That, we, that none of this, though, I mean, ultimately can be accomplished without first being accomplished through, through worship and through prayer, by us coming to Christ. You see, and I, I know I'm going a little long this morning, but, but let, me, let me just close out by saying this. Do you realize when Jesus taught us to pray in the, what's known as the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, right? He told us, like, you don't need to pray this exactly, but this is the formula from which you're praying, right? Right. Does he, you, notice, you notice what he told us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 through 13? Well, one of the things he told us to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And why can we have confidence in this? Well, we have confidence in this because of Jesus' promise here in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I am with you always. And we know that Christ is with us always. Despite how difficult our, our positions may be, despite how difficult bowing the knee may be, despite all the satanic wickedness, Christ has all authority. And Jesus does tell us, don't be surprised when you're brought before governors and kings um, to give a witness before the Gentiles, right? Don't, don't, don't be shocked when you're persecuted, right? And so we can't overlook the theme of persecution, right? We need to know that Jesus said very clearly, all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted, right? I mean, I'll tell you a real quick story. It's a funny story. I'm sure, I'm sure Rob and, and uh, I'm sure... Uh, <clears throat> Bobby could, could probably tell you even more stories because I haven't been able to be out as much as them. But, uh, uh, yeah, like, we have people cuss us. We have people threaten to throw things at us. We had a lady threaten to throw milkshakes on us uh, and other, other, other things because we simply were preaching the gospel and giving women hope, right? Um, don't be surprised when people don't respond to the gospel well. Don't be surprised and shocked. When, when people don't respond to the gospel well. And yet even in that, let me say this, we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us because it is possible that these enemies were once are like we once were and may become as we are now. 
And so we preach the gospel to them. We call them to repentance and faith. We love them in the power of Christ. We still command them to come to faith in Christ. We still command them to come to faith in Christ. Not because we're almighty and all-powerful, but because our king is. Because our king is all-powerful and almighty. We have a commission to fulfill that will be fulfilled, but not in our power and not because we don't, we, we're not doing enough, right? I can't tell you, like, I can't tell you how many times I have been in a mission seminar that's like, well, you know, brothers, uh, there are people out there who need to hear the gospel. And, you know, uh, uh, we, we need people who really are, are, are going. Now, listen, I, I, I don't doubt that. But the guilt is laid on super thick. Do more, do more, do more. And the reality is, is that we need to look to Christ and fulfill the commission in his power, not in our own strength. We need to look to Christ, rest in Christ, lean upon Christ, lean into Christ, and seek to fulfill the commission as God gives us opportunity in all ways in this life. Let us look to Christ. Let us pray for God to be glorified. And let us look in hope to the future. Let's pray. Father. Our prayer now is that as we've looked at this text in great depth and detail, that we would not look at, at uh, uh, as though you're losing. Uh, you're not. You're not losing. God, your, your church is, your kingdom is expanding through the gospel being preached. Yes, the nations rage, but so did the Roman Empire and there in the dustbin of history. So did the other nations of the world and they're now in parts of the dustbin of the history. And God, and yet here you are. Here your kingdom is. Here you are advancing. Here your gospel is advancing, bringing sinners into, into the kingdom. Here your church is growing. Here your kingdom is expanding. And here you are being glorified. So God, be glorified now, we pray, as we seek to be faithful to the commission that you have given to us, looking, being encouraged from the promise that it will be fulfilled so we go into the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.